0: To the inspirational living podcast brought to you in part by book of zen makers of wearable inspiration for a better world today's podcast has been edited and adapted from the sermon on the immortal life delivered by theodore parker on september 20th 1846 it is the belief of many that we shall all live forever this is not a doctrine of Christianity alone, it belongs to the human race. But how did we come by this belief? Our ancestors did not sit down and think it out, never waited till they could prove it by logic and metaphysics, did not delay their belief till a miraculous revelation came to confirm it. It came to them by intuition, by instinctive belief the belief which comes unavoidably from our nature. In this same way came the belief in a higher power, the redeeming power of love, and the yearning for justice. Some faculties of the body act spontaneously at first, so others of the spirit. Immortality is a fact of human nature, it is thus a part of the universe, just as the sun is a fact in the heavens and a part of the universe. As children attain consciousness of themselves, they attain consciousness of their immortality. At first they ask no more proof of their eternal existence and of their present life. Instinctively, they believe both. They do not separate the two. This life is one link in that golden and electric chain of immortality. Immortality is what philosophers call an ontological fact. It belongs essentially to our being just as the eye is a physiological fact and belongs to our body. To my mind, this is the great proof of immortality, the fact that it is written in human nature, written there so plain that no nation has failed to find it, to know it, written just as much as form is written on the circle. It comes to our consciousness as naturally as the notions of time and space. We feel it as a desire, we feel it as a fact. To suppose that this universal desire has no corresponding gratification is to deny reality. I feel the longing after immortality, a desire essential to my nature, deep as the foundation of my being. I find the same desire in all people, though some may try to hide or dismiss it. I feel conscious of immortality, that I am not to die, no, never to die, though often to change. I cannot believe this desire and consciousness are felt only to mislead, to beguile, to deceive me. I ask no argument from learned lips, no miracle could make me more sure, no, not if the sheeted dead burst from their coffins and stood here before me no, not if all the souls of my ancestors came thronging round and with miraculous speech told me they lived and I should also live. I would only say to them, I knew this all before. Why waste your heavenly breath? A great deal has been written to prove the existence of a higher power, a creator or god, and that by the greatest of thinkers. Yet, I cannot believe that anyone was ever reasoned directly into a belief in God nor directly out of it by all the skeptics. The idea of immortality, like the idea of God, in a certain sense is born in us, and as fast as we come to consciousness of ourselves, we come to consciousness of the Creator, and of ourselves as immortal. The higher we advance in wisdom and goodness, the larger place do spirituality and immortality hold in our experience and inward life. One argument for immortality is drawn from the general belief and acceptance of this teaching throughout history. The greatest philosophers and the most profound and persuasive religious teachers of the whole world have taught of everlasting life. This is an important fact, for these individuals represent the consciousness of humankind in its highest development through time. What is more, the human race believes it not merely as a thing given by miraculous revelation, not as a matter proven by science, not as a thing of tradition resting on some person's authority, but believes it instinctively. Not knowing and not asking why or how, we believe it as a fact of consciousness. Another argument for immortality is drawn from the nature of humankind. All men and women desire to be immortal. This desire is instinctive, natural, and universal. It cannot be that nature has given us this universal desire of immortality, this belief in it, and yet made it all a mockery. Bodily senses imply their objects, the eye light, the ear sound, touch, taste, and smell things relative thereto. Spiritual senses likewise foretell their object and are silent prophecies of endless life. The love of justice, beauty, and truth points to realities unseen as yet. We are ever hungering after noblest things, and what we feed on makes us hunger more. The senses are satisfied, but the soul never. While our body unavoidably decays, the simple soul which defines our life decays not. Reason, the affections, all the powers that make a person, decay not. True, the organs by which they act become impaired. But, absent disease, there is no cause for thinking that love, conscience, and reason progressively become weaker as we grow older. But there is cause for thinking that all these continually grow more strong. Everything in its place in time matures. The acorn and the apple ripen every year, A longer season would make them no better, no bigger. It is so with our body, that under proper conditions becomes mature. It is so with all things of the earth. But the spirit and mind never become fully grown, nor completely mature. Take the best and greatest who have ever lived. All of their faculties were not developed, fully grown, and matured, even if they did live to a ripe old age. In fact, often half of their talents lie all unused, their potential accomplishments unfinished at the time of their death. Are we to conclude that all of that untapped potential is gone to waste? Nature tells us no, that we are but removed by death to another soil, where we shall grow complete and become mature. I do not know if arguments such as these will sway those who doubt of immortality. Still, I think each argument is powerful, and to one that thinks, reasons, balances, and then decides, exceedingly powerful. Yet please understand that I do not rest immortality on any reasoning of mine, but on the faculty of reason itself, not on these logical arguments, but on our human consciousness and the instinctive belief which is common to all those who have lived and will live. Now, a belief in immortality is one thing, but the specifics of what a future life entails is another and quite different. What can we know of it besides its existence? As we are by our nature conscious, indeed self-conscious, I cannot think a removal out of the body destroys this consciousness, rather that it enhances and intensifies this. Yet consciousness in the next life must differ as much from consciousness here as the ripe peach differs from the blossom, or the bud, or the bark, or the earthly materials out of which it grew. The child is no limit to the future adult, nor my consciousness now, to what I may be, must be, hereafter. It must be a social state, too. Our nature is social, our joy is social, For our progress here, our happiness, we depend on one another. Must it not be so in the next life? It must be an advance upon our nature and condition here. All the analogy of nature teaches that. Things advance from small to great, from base to beautiful. The girl grows into a woman. The bud swells into the blossom, that into the fruit. The process starts over, the work begins anew. How much more must it be so in the other life? What old powers shall we rediscover? What new powers shall emerge? No person can discern, yet we know enough to guess there are strange wonders there waiting to be revealed. For my own part, I feel no wish to know how or where or what I shall be hereafter. I know it will be right for my truest welfare, for the good of all. I am satisfied with this trust. Yet the next life must be a state of retribution. Our fortune we leave behind us, our honors and rank are shed, even our reputation. The good or ill others thought about us cling to us no more. What we do bring is the result of all life's daily work. I can't believe people who have voluntarily lived mean, little, vulgar, and selfish lives will go out of this life and into the next as great, noble, generous, good, and holy. However, I cannot think the future world is to be feared, even by the worst of people. Doubtless justice is there to be done that may seem stern and severe. But remember that divine justice is not like ours. It is not born from vengeance, but mercy. It does not deliver poison, but medicine. To me it seems tuition more than chastisement. Hell and the wrath of God seemed to me human inventions rather than divine ones. In Greece, in classic days, when there was no caste of priests, the belief in immortality was prevalent and strong. But in all our varied literature I do not remember a person dying yet afraid of God's vengeance. Native Americans do not fear to meet the Great Spirit face to face. I have sat by the bedside of wicked people. And while death was dealing its final blows, I have watched the tide slowly ebbing from the shore, but I have known no one afraid to go. There are times when we think little of a future life. In a period of success, of a serene and healthy life, the day's good is good enough for that day. But there comes a time when this day's good is not enough. Its ills too great to bear. When death comes down and wrenches off a friend from our side, or when a wife, child, husband, parent, or dear one is taken, then this life is not enough. To the most doubting, I ask you, when you lay down in the earth your mother, father, sister, wife, or child, remembering that you shall see their face no more, is life enough? Do you not reach out your arms for heaven, for immortality, and feel you cannot die? When I see people at dinner or busy in the street I do not think of their eternal life, perhaps feel not my own, but when the stiffened body goes down to the tomb, sad, silent, remorseless, I feel there is no death for the man or woman. The corpse which the dirt shall cover is not my brother or sister. The dust goes to its place and us to our own. It is then that I feel my immortality. I look through the grave into heaven. I ask no miracle, no proof, no reasoning for me. I ask no risen body to teach me immortality. I am conscious of eternal life. But there are worse hours than these. Seasons more bitter than death. Sorrows that poison the heart, slowly sapping the foundations of our peace. There are hours when the best life seems a sheer failure to the person who has lived it. When all our wisdom appears folly, our genius impotent and wasted, our best deeds poor and small, when we wonder why we suffered to be born. In such hours we feel the insufficiency of this life, but then, when we quiet our heart and mind, we feel our immortality trying to break through. In the garish light of day we see a star or two beyond. The soul within us feels her wings, struggling to be born, impatient for the sky, and wrestles with the earthly cocoon that folds us in. Do not take this as a slight against our wondrous world. I love its day and night. Its flowers and its fruits are dear to me. Even the ugly becomes beautiful when truly seen. The more I live, the more I love this lovely world. Feel more the divinity within each little thing in all that is great. But yet I feel my immortality the more. The prospect of that everlasting life, the perfect justice yet to come, the infinite progress before us, cheer and comfort the heart. The certainty of this provokes us to patience. It forbids us to be slothful when sorrow arrives. It calls us to be up and doing. There is small merit in being willing to die. The world is our proving ground and needs us here so much. We are called to trust in our immortality and live today the eternal life. Justice, usefulness, wisdom and love are the best things we hope for in the next life. Try them on here first, they will fit you no less well, for they are the best things on earth too. Think of no effort you make as too great. Although society may not pay you now, your everlasting reward begins here. The Inspirational Living Podcast is a production of The Living Hour. For free transcripts of our podcasts, visit us online at livinghour.org. Today's podcast was sponsored in part by autosuggestion.io. Transform your life in 30 days. Discover the autosuggestion sound method at autosuggestion.io. And by Book of Zen, makers of wearable inspiration and motivational gifts. Visit them online at bookofzen.com. Subscribe to the Inspirational Living Podcast by looking us up in the iTunes store. If you're using an Android phone, download the Stitcher app and you'll find us on there. We deliver new podcasts twice a week, every Tuesday and Thursday. Thanks for joining us. I look forward to talking to you next time.